Evidence and Answers. Evidence and Answers. Pat is interviewed by Roger Marsh. Roger Marsh has a national broadcast entitled The Bottom Line. Today's discussion will be the topic of who owns the land, referring to the land of the Gaza Strip. If you're unable to hear this entire broadcast, all of our messages are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Here's Roger Marsh and Pat Zucran with the topic of the land of the Gaza Strip. There's confusion in the Middle East. Well, that's an understatement. Who exactly gets to make the decision as to who owns what? Who owns the land, I guess, is the question. And today here on The Bottom Line, a conversation with Patrick Zucaran, the executive director of Evidence and Answers Ministries, based in the great state of the great 808 state, and also the host of (laughs) One Day a Week of the 808 State Update. Zuc, it's good to have you back in the studio today. Hey, always great to be with you here, Roger, here in the great state of California. That's right. right. So aloha and uh, cowabunga, you know, back and forth. (laughs) I mean, let's get our our colloquialisms out of the way. You've been a busy guy. It's been, I can't believe, I mean, this is how old I'm getting. I can't believe it's been a couple of years since the last time you were in studio here. I mean, did you, have you oh. been to California and just missed us, or what was the story? Oh, man, yeah. I can't believe it's been a couple of years either. <laughs> Boy, I, I always try to stop by here yeah. at, at this uh, great radio show. Well, I, pre- I appreciate you taking the time here because I know it's a it's always a busy time when you are in California. You and I have a mutual friend, Junko Cheng, who's a great musician, singer, worship leader, and uh, ministers to people of all different ages and ethnicities, too. And I was pleasantly surprised. She was in here last December and said, you know, I went with Pat Zucran and we went to the Holy Land. And I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Okay, you two guys are in the Holy Land. How fun was that? What First time going? I mean, obviously you, you, you do a lot of Bible study, but I mean, do you lead trips there on a regular basis? What was the emphasis for that? Uh, not on a regular basis, but that was my second time there. Okay. And as you know, in Israel, a lot changes in just a few months. And every time they're digging a new place to develop, they discover something. Right. And so, you know, when I went back again, there's all these great new discoveries all over the place, confirming people, places, and events of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you, you've got all that evidence, and it makes it so interesting to me to watch the number of people who will look in spite of that evidence and still say, what you and I believe is a fairy tale, it's a myth, it really doesn't exist. And then there's all the archaeological digs, and you had a chance recently to see those within the past few months. Yeah, and literally there are tens of thousands of archaeological discoveries that confirm people, places, and events of the Bible. I mean, tens of thousands. You're talking uh, over 30,000 discoveries, archaeological discoveries that confirm the historical integrity of the Bible. There's no book that's as ancient with so much historical evidence as the Bible. It's truly amazing. Well, I'm taking your trustworthy word for it, having not been myself, but I realize this is probably, you know, what do they always say, next year in Jerusalem? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of been my rallying cry for the past few years, so perhaps I'm going to have to make this the year that we go. Patrick Zucran with me in studio today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Pat is the Executive Director of Evidence and Answers Ministries and has a broadcasting and teaching and speaking ministry, too. Okay, let's talk about this. Since you are newly returned from within the past few months from the Middle East. I mean, let's talk about what's happening here because the big argument keeps coming down to we've had a change in the guard. We have a new president, new sheriff in town in the White House, the previous administration. Israel was very gracious to the administration in terms of U.S.-Israeli relations, but you could tell that there was some tension between President Obama and Prime Minister Netanyahu. Now we've got President Trump and Bibi Netanyahu is beaming on November 8th, 2016 in terms of saying, I'm so grateful that we have this, this leadership. That was right around the time you guys were finishing up your trip, wasn't it? Well, yeah, we were there during the 
presidential elections. And it was really interesting because the Israelis over there were saying, you Americans better get right. You better get Trump. Because we're, we're kind of tired of this administration Not that here. they were big Trump supporters, but looking at the two choices, it seemed right. like the Israelis were saying, well, if these are the two choices, it's got to be him. Right. And so they were very adamant to us uh, wherever we went in Israel. You're from America? Hey, please, get it right, man. Get now, now, did they look at you as a Hawaiian guy and say, yeah, you guys are all Bernie Sanders. We don't have any faith in you, Pat. Or were you, were you the lone holdout in well, the 808 state? Yeah, well, they didn't know too much about the demographics and how the U.S. votes. They know about the East Coast and the West Coast, okay. but not too much about Hawaii. Uh-huh. But uh, had they known, yeah, they would have been a lot more pessimistic towards us, I uh-huh. think. Well, I'm glad they didn't know that. I'm glad God shielded their eyes then. Okay, so yeah, in November of 2016, you've got the election result that was very favorable in the eyes of Israelis toward U.S.-Israeli relations, but it still doesn't necessarily solve the problem of who owns the land? You know, let's let's talk about the settlements. Talk about the West Bank. What what happened in the months afterwards? Now knowing that President Trump was going to be the new sheriff in town, right? You know, on December twenty third, the United Nations Security Council, which has been typically anti Israel, made up of a lot of Middle Eastern countries. Of course, I think that's an understatement. Yeah. I think that's an understatement. <laughs> far outnumber the tiny little nation of Israel. Anyway, they passed a resolution condemning the Israeli settlements on the West Bank. You know, this was support, and it was support by our former Secretary of State, John Kerry, in the United Nations. And that was not surprising, but it was surprising because right. we have been a strong ally of Israel. Uh, they've tried to pass this resolution many times, and it's the U.S. who have vetoed it and stood against it and stood by Israel's side. But this time, the United States joined the United Nations in condemning Israel for the West Bank Now, this was a separate resolution from the time that the U.S. did not veto. They just abstained and kind right. of st- peeled back. That happened right before the election. Right. They abstained. U.S. Ambassador Samantha Power abstained. It's the first resolution by the Security Council that has been adopted on Israel and the Palestinians for nearly eight years. So after she abstained, then Secretary Kerry, you know, came out in support of the resolution and called for Israel to return to the 1967 borders. Okay, let's talk about those borders. I'm talking with Patrick Zuckerman today here on The Bottom Line, the executive director of the Evidence and Answers Ministries and also uh, one of the co-hosts of the show 808 State Update, the area code for the all of Hawaii. So if you just talk about the 808, you know exactly where you're talking about, and that's where Pat's ministry is based. So I'm glad he's kind of slumming with us here in California, <laughs> moving away from that uh, paradise there. But we mentioned the 1967 borders, and that, that it's kind of nebulous to people, especially a lot of younger people, young adults, millennials, who really don't have any frame of reference of 50 years ago. Talk about that. Well, the 1967 borders refers to the borders before the Six-Day War in 1967. Now, those who are not that familiar with the Six-Day War, in 1967, Egypt from the south, Jordan from the east, Syria from the north, all lined up with their military on the borders of Israel, you know, armed by the Russians, and they surrounded Israel, and it looked like any moment they were just going to launch an offensive and Mm -hmm. attack the nation of Israel. Well, instead, before they could, Israel launched an offensive and destroyed the military of those surrounding nations. Literally, people say this was a miraculous victory here, Mm -hmm. vastly, vastly outnumbered. Very (laughs) Gideon-like. Yeah. I'll talk to generals, and when they talk about some of the greatest military victories, and I ask them, well, you didn't mention the 67 Six-Day War, in which in just six days, Israel decimated those three countries, vastly outnumbered. And 
I had one general look at me and say, well, that wasn't a battle. He said, that was a miracle. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. it's just truly amazing. Israel extended their borders after the victory. And for the first time in almost 2000 years, they entered the city of Jerusalem and took control of the city of Jerusalem. So when you're talking about these borders, pre-67, before the Six-Day War, Israel, as a result of what happened in the Six-Day War, how can you have Israel without Jerusalem? Yeah. I mean, yeah. that, that's, I'm just coming at this thing, putting the, the nuts and bolts together. We're talking about a land area that's about the size of New Jersey anyway. It's mm-hmm. not that big to begin with. But this is, I mean, Jerusalem is the heartbeat of Israel. And why would it not be considered a part of Israel? Yeah, you know, it wasn't a part of the borders that they made in 1947 after World War II. In fact, Israel got a lot of the desert land, a lot of the sand area along the Mediterranean Sea, and then in between the Gaza Strip and Jerusalem. That's the territory that they got. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot, just a wasteland. And it's incredible, phenomenal how they have turned that into an agricultural land and the things that they have done there. They are far ahead of anyone in the world as far as irrigation and the ability to, you know, turn that salt water into fresh water Mm -hmm. and all the things that they are doing. So in that six-day war, they captured Jerusalem, the Gaza Strip, you know, from Egypt there in the southwest and the West Bank all the way to the Jordan border. So they captured, a, oh, and the Golan Heights up there towards Syria. So they feel, captured a lot of territory. You're reminding me of my childhood, Pat, as we think about what it was like to hear those, all of that in the news and rem- what it was like as a six-year-old to hear this being broadcast on the CBS News, you know, Walter Cronkite, that type of thing, and, and kind of having a vague reference of it. And now here we are 50 years later kind of circling back around. It's still a contentious area. There's still a lot of misinformation about it. I know you've studied it. You've also walked it, too. Uh, more of my conversation with Patrick Zucaran, the executive director of Evidence and Answers Ministries, uh, recently returned from Israel. And uh, we're talking about this whole issue of who owns the land. When we're talking about the West Bank, the Gaza Strip, why these regions are so important to Israel, and why would the United States be in such a big hurry to keep Israel from taking what we believe is biblically, rightfully theirs. Patrick Zucaran is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Can I call you Zook? Or yeah, is that, that's absolutely. Just we're off here. Okay. Yeah. Zook is the executive director of Evidence and Answers and uh, also uh, one of the co-hosts of a great radio program called 808 State Update, which I should point out too, as a pastor, as a teacher, as an apologist, that second program I mentioned, Evidence and Answers, is on Christian radio, but the 808 State Update, you have been brought into the world of secular talk radio now too. Yes. You know, it was, it's originally started by the former lieutenant governor of Hawaii, Duke Iona, who is the first, you know, Republican to be nominated to that office. And probably the last that they will ever see. <laughs> That's right. That is right. Yeah. And so he began the show 808 State Update. And I was a regular guest talking on issues like this yeah. on the Middle East, on Islam, on ethical issues, abortion, euthanasia, and things like that. And things that I think the media, and I'm, I'm not saying this to play victim, I think the media has gotten the perception, either rightfully so or not, that the Christians either don't know or don't care that we're either misinformed or we're ill-informed. And so I'm grateful that you God's given you this opportunity to at least have that mouthpiece and to talk about this, because like even the issue that we're talking about here, this is not from a standpoint of, well, if you're a Christian, then obviously you support Israel. So anybody says anything against it, boo. We're walking through this, you know, what we're going to get to two-state solution. We're, we're about to talk about the West Bank, because we in the body of Christ need to know the history before we can start solving the mystery of this. Right. You know, Jesus said, you're in the world, but not of the world. And so Christians need to 
engage the world around them. And Christians need to see how the Christian worldview is relevant and provides the best answers to the questions people are asking today and the issues of today. So they need to see how the Christian worldview engages the world around them. And okay. So it's a great opportunity for me and for Christians to see that. And, glad, and glad even you do it. that here, Roger. Well, do, doing my best. You're listening to The Bottom Line Show today. I'm Roger Marsh. Patrick Zucaran is my guest here in studio. And we're talking about basically trying to answer the question, who owns the land that is under, that is in this uh, contention right now in the Middle East? Okay, two terms that keep coming up a lot that some Christians may say, I know it, I'm supposed to know what that is. I don't know what that is. One of them is, what are these settlements that we keep hearing are either so bad or so good? And what specifically is the West Bank? Let's start with the territory first. What, where is it? What does it mean? Why is it so important to Israel? Yes, well, the West Bank is a 2,000-square-mile area that lies really at the heart of the area, the heart of the land of Israel. And the easiest way to picture this is that this is a territory just west of the Jordan. And then it begins about 30 miles south of the Sea of Galilee, which is all the way up in the north. And then it covers the area just northwest of the Dead Sea. So it goes from the Jordan River in the east and stretches about 20 miles west. So if you're looking at an ancient map, the Israelis often refer to these as the biblical names Judea and Samaria. Okay. So it contains some of the most important Jewish historical sites, cities such as Hebron, Nablus, Jericho, Bethlehem, Jerusalem. And so that's the territory that we're talking about. And these are places that, you know, for Christians, we're saying, okay, if I were going to spend two weeks touring the Holy Land, I want to see this. I want to see the digs you were talking about where the archaeological history is confirming the biblical history here, too. And this is the part that you've got two sides of this. You've got the Israeli side and you've got the Palestinian argument coming at this, too. Of what benefit then, I mean, other than just absolute power, of what benefit is the West Bank to a Palestinian group that really doesn't even have a nation? Or is, this, is the contention that, well, this is our homeland, and so if you just get out of it, then we can set up a nation of Palestine? Is that, I mean, is that too overly simplistic? No, that's about it. The Palestinians, along with many of the Middle Eastern countries, have not acknowledged the right for Israel to even exist. So it's even more, it's more a matter of them saying, we don't believe that Israel exists right. rather than we're trying to get our own land back. Right. Okay. Yes. And so really they have not acknowledged the right for Israel to exist. They don't believe they have the right to be there in the land at all. And for the Palestinians, being majority Muslim, Jerusalem is the third most holy site for the Muslims. And so it's an abomination for them to have Jerusalem and even the Temple Mount controlled uh, by the Jews. Talk about that significance, Pat, because I think that that's something that we oftentimes gloss over. I know there are some Palestinians who are Christian. You said the majority of Palestinians are Muslim. The Muslim reason for Jerusalem being a sacred holy place, the Temple Mount, far different, obviously, than for us as Christians or even for Jews. Talk about that. Right. You know, for the Jews, that's where the temple was. The Jerusalem Temple, Solomon's Temple, Herod's Temple, great history there, right there on the Temple Mount. And Although the Muslims believe there's no evidence that there was a temple there and that Israel has, the Jews have no... All the archaeological evidence doesn't mean anything to the Muslims. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's quite surprising, but there's great historical significance for the Jews there. But the Muslims believe that that's where Muhammad made the midnight journey from Mecca on the back of a donkey, the midnight ride from Mecca, and he landed there in Jerusalem at the Dome of the Rock. So there's two... Islamic mosques right there on the Temple Mount, the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock, which is the third most sacred site for the Muslims. So 
That's why they see Jerusalem as very sacred to them as well. I can understand now, Patrick Zucherin, why that's so important to the Muslim contingent. I can understand why it's so important to Christians. I can understand why it's so important to Jews. And it makes sense then why they're always fighting each other on the Temple Mount. (laughs) Someone's trying to push somebody else out of the way because they're saying, this is sacred to me. No, it's sacred to me. What evidence does the Muslim contingent have? I mean, we know in Scripture, for Christians and Jews, we have archaeological evidence coming out of our teeth that this is historical. On the Quranic side of it, what what evidence do they have? I don't think there's any. And we have no evidence, at least from a historical and an apologetics position, that Muhammad ever made that midnight ride to Mm -hmm. Jerusalem. I mean, the only witness we have, really, is the donkey. You know, and I don't think that guy's talking. No. Or has talked. Well, unless he knows Balaam, you know, back in the Old Testament, <laughs> yeah. then, then, then that's God's words and right. not Muhammad. Right. So really, there's no uh, historical evidence there except the words of the Quran. And even translators of the Quran, like Abdullah Yusuf Ali, who has the most authoritative translation of the Quran into English, writes in his commentary that that was a vision that Muhammad had. And so really, if you're talking historically, there's all kinds of historical evidence of Jewish history, of that being the Temple Mount where Solomon's Temple was. If you're talking historically uh, Islam, there's it's hard to build a historical case except for the words of the Quran, mm-hmm. you know, that Muhammad had any kind of presence there in Jerusalem. So what you're saying, Patrick, just to summarize, is the Muhammad version in the Quran is very, very highly subjective. And the biblical account for Christians and for Jews is very, very objective in terms of we we do have verifiable evidence where they just have a, it's this way because Muhammad said so. Right. Yes. You know, Muhammad is kind of circular. I hate to say it, but, you know, it's Muhammad is the prophet of God. And Muhammad said this, therefore, it is true. So it's kind of a circular argument there. But when you go to Israel, one of the exciting things now is not only do they have the Western Wall, the remnants of Mm -hmm. Solomon's Temple there, you can go under the Western Wall, and there are these massive, well, not massive, but these tunnels down there. And you can see the massive foundation stones that go all the way down to Solomon's Temple and even below that. So that's really exciting that underneath Now, you know, the Muslims for a long time blocked off those tunnels. I thought they were just legendary in Mm -hmm. nature, but now you can go down into those tunnels and go under the entire Western Wall. It's a magnificent, magnificent walk you can take there underneath the Western Wall. But there's a lot of historical evidence. You sound like a travel agent now. (laughs) There's a lot of historical evidence for the integrity of the Old Testament Uh there There. uh, and Solomon's Temple. Well, I'm encouraged by this, talking with Patrick Zucheran today here on The Bottom Line. He's the Executive Director of Evidence and Answers Ministries. I'm encouraged by this, Pat, because of the fact that for so often we find ourselves as Christians having a conversation with someone and we'll wind up running into the whole science is settled argument, you know, for example, when it comes to, you know, gender issues and things like that, where we have biblical creation on our side and God's original plan and original design. In this case here, when it comes to spiritual issues that are so easily dismissed in our culture as, well, you know, Jesus is a fairy tale just like Santa Claus, and I'd rather believe in Santa Claus because at least you get presents. I mean, using that as one of the arguments. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, but here, this there's some verifiable, tangible evidence that is really irrefutable. I mean, you can debate it all you want to, but we really do have the evidence that when you look at the the Temple Mount, for example, that is the the history of Christianity and Judaism, and it's legend 
when it comes to Islamic tradition, which then, okay, now if you've got the Palestinians who are majority Muslim coming at this area and the Christians and the Jews saying, wait, this is Solomon's temple. Now you can see where it, it really almost isn't a fair fight because the Christians and Jews have so much evidence to back up their claim. So then the Palestinians resort to violence? Oh, well, you know, the Palestinians do have a rightful claim to that land. I think we'll talk about it later because they have been there for centuries after the Jews were dispersed by the Romans. Okay. And then the Romans came in and renamed the land Palestine. And Let's talk about that because I think that as people start talking about like two-state solutions and things like that, that can be a little confusing because it seems like it's an either or, not a both and. And I want you to unpack that. Patrick Zucaran is with me today in studio here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. If you've ever had a question about, okay, I know the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, we get it, we're Christians and we're Americans and we support Israel, or perhaps you're part of one of the Christian traditions in the United States that does not, that believes in the boycott and diversifying sanctions against Israel because they're being mean to the Palestinians. I hope that you're finding this conversation to be a benefit. I know I am. Duke has recently returned from the Holy Land, has made a couple of trips there, but also does a lot of research on how do we as Christians equip ourselves? I'm going to say arm ourselves, but that's probably not the best description when you're talking about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict (laughs) in the West Bank. How do we arm ourselves with enough information, not just to win the argument, but really to get to the truth, to get to the bottom line of this issue? And you made a statement that I'm sure perked a lot of ears up where you said the Palestinians do have a rightful claim to this area. What is that rightful claim? Yeah, well, let's go first to the Jewish claim of the land. Okay. Uh, they have a rightful claim. If you go all the way back to the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 12, the Abrahamic covenant, mm-hmm. that was a everlasting covenant. The land was promised to them forever. They have a historical claim as well. In the book of Joshua in the 14th century BC, you know, they conquered the land and were there for nearly 2,000 years until they were defeated and sent into exile throughout the world by the Romans. Then in 1917, after World War I, the Balfour Declaration guaranteed the Jews a homeland in Palestine. Of course, that was not fulfilled. But then after World War II, the United Nations declared you know, the land of Palestine as a homeland for the Jews. So they have a biblical claim. They have a historical claim as okay. well. That's the Jewish side. Yes. Now the Palestinians also have a historical claim to the land. They have a long residency in the land. The land was officially conquered by the second caliph of Islam, Umar, in 638 AD. And the Arab Arab groups have lived there ever since. So nearly 1,400 years, they have been in the land. And the British McMahon-Hussein Agreement, remember that whole territory was owned by the Turkish Empire, Mm -hmm. and the Allies came in, the Ottoman Turks, and the Allies came in and said, if you, you know, to the Arab tribes there, if you will align with us and help overthrow the Ottoman Turks, we promise these lands to you, which also included the land of Palestine. And remember the great Lawrence of Arabia. Right. Help bring that coalition together there. And of course, they didn't know they were betrayed by the Western powers who had already divvied up the land for themselves there. Well, the land of Palestine was given to them. And in 1948, when the land was also given to the Jewish people, there was the great Palestinian displacement where hundreds of thousands of Palestinians were displaced from their homes and had to live in ghetto conditions. Which year again? 1948, when the Jews moved back to their homeland. And the reason the Palestinians were forced into many of these ghetto conditions is that it was their Arab 
neighboring friends who would not allow them to migrate into their country. Hmm. And so hopefully I don't get shot here, <laughs> but I believe both have historical claims to the land, the Israelis and the Palestinians. Okay, now I'm not armed, so I'm, I'm a friend here. <laughs> talk about this, but you're right. In terms of looking at the knowledge here, when we talk about a two-state solution, I mean, oftentimes we jump to the end. You know, we pass go and want to collect $200. A two-state solution sounds like, well, okay, the Israelis, the Palestinians have to find a way to work together. However, I'll hear this from a lot of Jewish leaders. They'll say, look, if the Jews would to say, we'll lay down weapons and try to have a you know two-state solution here with the Palestinians. I mean, if they do that for us, we'll let them stay. If we do that for them, they'll kill us. They'll run us over. And, and I, I don't want to overstate that, but I mean, we're talking about a couple of different platforms here, Pat. I mean, in terms of, you know, whether or not you're talking about rightful claims is one thing, but here we are in 2017 where military might, strategic alliances, that that can all factor into it too. So how do we get from your claim of saying, okay, yes, there is rightful claim on both sides to, but how does that look in real life? Yes, you know, a two-state solution would be ideal, but it is not working because one side, the Palestinians or the Muslim world, does not acknowledge the right for Israel to exist. If, if the Israelis were to acknowledge the right of the Palestinians to exist, why wouldn't the Muslims acknowledge that these are people. I mean, obviously, there are some, not all Palestinians are Muslim. I mean, I realize mm-hmm. the majority are, but I mean, what is keeping the Palestinian Muslim contingent from saying, okay, Israel, you have a right to exist? Yeah, well, it goes all the way back to the days of Muhammad. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you find this broadcast to be of a great value to you, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on the generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles, additional audio, and of course, Pat's books. Be sure to share our website with your family, your friends, and your church. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers. Yeah.